Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, anybody blessed by a morning like that? What an awesome thing we have to be able to see uh, baptism's new life and also to spend a little time talking about real hope. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, we're picking back up in a study that we started as we uh, celebrate uh, these that were baptized, proclaiming that they put their hope in Christ, that they have uh, given their lives to him. Um, I'm going to ask us as a congregation this question, do you have hope? What is the sign that you have hope? Um, There's a company while you're turning there that uh, actually created a meter, a grid for you to be able to check in on whether or not you have hope, they just, uh, they ask people within their company, Giant does, uh, how they are doing. Are they ecstatic? I, and by the way, I don't know, anybody in the room ecstatic this morning? Yeah. All right, we got two. <laughs> Some of you might be excited. Ecstatic people can make you excited. Uh, optimistic, just okay, stuck, struggling. On their scale, burned out precedes miserable, defeated, or hopeless. We're talking about a hope that anchors the soul, but uh, this is from a company that genuinely wants their people to thrive. They genuinely want them to be able to engage with what is next in their life, but they're watching CEOs and key leaders struggle to take another step in this season. So they created this meter so that they could uh, be able to identify in their own life where they are on this scale And the idea is, if you can name it, you can tame it. That's one of the things that they had said. You name the problem, you can tame it. If you don't have hope, you can get there. Just say out loud that I don't have hope. And then the next step is going to be more hopeful. Now, I don't know if that gives you hope, but it doesn't for me. Just naming the problem. We got a lot of problems, folks. Anybody been reading the news? A little bit. Anybody turned off the news successfully? All right, thank you. This is a good group. Even without all that noise, the person next to you weeping over the latest headlines, overwhelmed in their current struggles, is going to be able to tell you. I've named what the problem is, but I still don't have hope by doing that. Hope comes from another place. Compare that, Stephen J. Cole, a pastor, was talking with uh, an evangelist who had had a shocking moment. He was in Russia. And some Russians greeting him and said, welcome, brother, from the United States. And he paused and he said, "Uh, what in the world would make you say that I'm from the United States? I'm just walking along. I bought one of your Russian hats. I'm wearing a big wool coat. (laughs) He said, I'm trying to dress like the yokels. Nope. They said, it's uh, it's written all over you. He said, well, what is it that distinguishes me as uh, from the U.S.? And they said, it's your face. And he said, well, what about my face? And they said, you have hope. You have hope. We just knew you weren't from here. Something different. Now, he happened to be a missionary. He explained to them what the real reason for his hope was. Literally given an opportunity that comes right out of 1 Peter. What is the reason for your hope? We're in the book of Hebrews, and the last time, if you were with us, I'll just give you a quick recap. We talked about 
some of the troubles that you can face as a believer. And you can actually stumble along as a believer. The conviction of the word and our conviction is that you don't lose your salvation, but you can lose out on a reward. As you are living your life, you can get caught up in secondary things that are not a hope. You can grab onto things that are actually addictions rather than Christ. You can get captivated with things that will lead you on rabbit trails that will cause you to waste your existence rather than to live in blessing. And so we arrive at this, he transitions in this moment and keeping the context, he begins to tell us, let me tell you what you really can have, a a hope that anchors your soul. It's a hope that we're all aching for in the room. Stand with me if you would. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 through the end of the chapter. The scripture says this, now, we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promise through faith and perseverance. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves and for them, a confirming oath ends every dispute Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, by the way, that's a promise and an oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he's become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Do you believe that's true? You may be seated. Father, as we take a look at this passage, I pray that uh, you would open our eyes, that you would soften our hearts, that you would cause us to let go of those things that are not a hope and cling to you. Help us to see what has been provided in Christ. Father, I pray that uh, you would help me as I share this, to have your words, your thoughts. Help us to see your word more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Short while ago, we used a definition for hope, and I just wanted to bring that back up in front of you, a, a biblical definition of hope, not like the world says, where you just keep swimming, but a hope that is actually given to you by another, by Christ. Hope is the strong desire, it's internal, eager anticipation and confident expectation of a future guaranteed by God. Do you know if you put your faith in Christ that you have a guaranteed future, an eternity where you see him face to face, where all wrongs are put right and he settles everything perfectly. Do you know that? That's your hope. Do you know that you have a real hope in Jesus? Amen or yes goes there. All right. Do you know you have a real hope in Jesus? All right. 
This is what we're going to look at. In this passage, he highlights that and he says, I want you to pay attention to this. And he says, there's a shocking truth that's buried in this moment. And I want you to see it. And once again, remember in the book of Hebrews, he just grabs little phrases and he assumes you understand the context and will bring it to mind and you'll go, oh, that was what was going on. If you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament story or unfamiliar with what he's pointing to, we're going to go there this morning. A hope that comes from Christ, from the Lord himself. First thing I want you to see is that true hope is based entirely on the character of God. Hear this, entirely on the character of God, not you. Hope, it says, is the remedy for a lack of drive, but it's not found in activity. Verse 12, so that you won't become lazy, but imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. Have you gotten lazy in your faith? Have you gotten lazy in your life? Have you gotten lazy because you're just overwhelmed by circumstances and you don't think that it matters to take another step? He says hope will change that. Hope is the remedy for a lack of drive, but hope is not found in mere activity. Hope causes activity. Hope is the corrective for a lack of direction. You feel like a rudderless ship? Hope puts the rudder back on the ship and points you towards spiritual north. It points you towards Christ and eternity with him. Hope is the antidote for discouragement. But hope is not found in raw optimism. Some have called that uh, toxic optimism, where no matter what you're facing, you're just like, ah, oh, it's going to be okay. I read about a fisherman uh, that four days prior, he was giving a report to his friend, and he said, you know what, I went out four days ago, and he says, I was out for four hours, and I caught nothing. He says, but things are looking up. He said, I went out yesterday, and I fished for three hours and got the same result. Toxic optimism, still no fish, but it took him less time to get there. Are you still in a place where you feel like you have no results, but you're being told by everyone to be happy about it? Here's the thing you need to see in scripture. Hope isn't based on your activity. It's not based on your strength. In fact, hope has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. Do you believe that? Turn with me. If you've got the ability right now to Genesis, I want you to see this. In your Bible, Genesis chapter 15, I just want to tell you the story and I'm going to highlight here a moment that happened. Abraham is out with God. Uh, he has just gone and retrieved Lot from a disturbing situation. Abraham, as most of you know, uh, is the father of faith. He is the father of the nation of Israel. He is the storyline that God brings up over and over and over again, all the way to the book of Revelation, the story of somebody who believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And it happens in these passages in chapter 12 and 15 and 22. We see God do supernatural things in Abraham's life. But this is a moment where he is told that he's gonna become a great nation and yet he has no child. He looks at God and he says, I, I'm thankful, Lord, thanks for providing a, a win, a victory. He had chased out with just the men that were in his household. Imagine having such vigorous fighters around you that you felt you could take on a nation, a group of people uh, because of the men that were around you. He goes out and he gets his, his friend, Lot, his family member who had run away. He goes and gets Lot back and takes him out of captivity. He comes and in this moment, 
he receives a covenant. Lord, how can I know that I will possess the land? How can I know that these things will happen? And God in verse nine says, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to them and he cut the everything but the birds in half. Now this was a, an Old Testament way to cut a covenant. The picture was that you would take these animals, they would be split in half, and the two people would walk through making an oath saying, if I violate this covenant, may this happen to me. The God of the universe says, bring these things and you're gonna see me walk through here. Shocking moment. Basically lightning in a bottle. The same kind of picture that we see on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, the, the establishment of the tabernacle and the temple, these moments where there's lightning flashes, peals of thunder, smoke, all proceeding. The picture of the presence of God stops right there and begins to pass through those pieces. But God had caused a great sleep to, call, to come on Abraham. Listen to the definition Verse 12, it says, as the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, a sudden great terror and darkness descended on him. Now, how if you're an ancient Hebrew before uh, Freud has given you all the wisdom that he can, do you describe depression? <clears throat> Sleepiness, separation, great terror, darkness descends on him. Now, this is before it was evening. Because later on, verse 17, it says, then the sun set. Middle of the day, darkness descends on him. He falls asleep. He is overwhelmed. <clears throat> In the middle of Abraham's depression, sleeping on the sideline, God alone passes through and says, if I break this covenant, may I become mortal? May I become less than a God? I'm no God at all if I break it. But also, Abraham, since you're asleep, you're depressed, you're overwhelmed, you can't get up, I'm going to pass through this for you as well. If you fail, I'll take the consequences. By the way, the story of history is Abraham failed, you and I failed, Jesus took the consequences. I'll take the consequences. Second thing I want you to see. The direct quote comes from chapter 22. Notice this, the second moment. <clears throat> it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. So we know at the beginning of chapter 22 that it's about to be a test. It says, Abraham, I want you to take your son up to the mountain that I will designate. And he tells him it's a land in Moriah and he points to the location. By the way, the place that he sends at Abraham is going to be the mountains on which Jerusalem was built in general, but specifically the Temple Mount and the area where Jesus was crucified. I want you to go to this place, take your only son, sacrifice him to me. Now we know that it's a test, that ultimately God was not gonna do this, but Abraham moves forward saying, every single time God has asked me to do something, he has answered in a supernatural way, he has promised me that this son is going to be with me, that he's going to be my heir, I don't know what God is gonna do, but I'm gonna follow him. And he follows the Lord. He goes all the way. And his son even asked, Dad, I see the wood. I'm packing the wood. I know that we have a place that we're supposed to go. Everything is ready for a sacrifice, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says to his son, God will see to it. That's his literal words. God will see to providing the lamb. Now there's a crazy moment 
he stacks the wood, he creates the altar, he does all these things. He stretches out his hand to grab hold of the knife and the angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. He's like, I'm right here. This is a ridiculous moment, God. Do you see my circumstances? No concern in Abraham's voice. Here I am. Don't lay a hand on that boy or do anything to him. I know that you fear God. He provided for him and he looked up and he saw a ram. Not a lamb, by the way. The lamb would come later. A ram. He sacrifices there. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. And so it is said, it'll be provided on the Lord's mountain. That's an interesting thing. That word could also be translated, God will see to it. God will see to it. He'll provide the lamb. God alone is the one who commits. All the hope that you have is based on him. And God literally says, I will see to it. Can I just ask you something in your own life? Are you facing circumstances or things that are overwhelming? Do you feel like you're being asked to do something according to scripture? Or do you feel like just the circumstances of your life, you're just barely making it, barely eking it out. It feels like you're stumbling from one day to another, one week to the next, one month to the next, and barely getting by. You know what this scripture is telling you? God will see to your life. You rest. Rest in him. He'll take care of your life and the life of your children. Do you believe him? There's a little boy down in uh, Union City, California, part of the Tapal family, 2014. Somehow he had gotten into his mother's heirlooms, sacred treasures that had been handed down from generations, and he found a sapphire uh, and diamond ring. He was captivated by it. He had been watching Nemo, and so he flushed it in the toilet to set it free. Oh no, mommy, oh no, mommy, the, the ring, I flushed it, I flushed it, it's free. What did you do? The ring was genuinely priceless. They had a plumber come in, disassemble the entire thing uh, as the gift that toddlers do tend to give us. Disassemble the bathroom, go down through there, cannot get a hold of it, call the local company, search around down below. They can't get a hold of it. They finally tell the local authorities over the sewer system, what are we going to do? They said, well, before you give up hope, let, we got two guys who are experts at finding things in the union city sewer. They flushed it four times. They flushed it and sieved all of the ingredients and they found the ring, the inheritance of this family for generations. Now they did ask, are you going to let the boy play with it? <clears throat> After washing it, taking good care of it, they presented it to the guys to be able to do the newspaper article. But this was the interesting thing. They said, when he's old enough to understand what has happened, we're going to give him his inheritance. Somebody else had to guarantee it. He still gets it. Do you know that it says to make sure that those who would inherit it would be positive? God interposes with an oath. Not for Abraham, but so that the others would know, I am guaranteeing this. True hope is based entirely on the character of God. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Second thing I want you to see here is that hope may not change your immediate circumstances. Hope may not change your immediate circumstances, but it will steady your soul. Read verse 19. Two interchangeable things, which is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled might have strong encouragement to seize the hope before us. Read this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. This hope goes all the way to the presence of God. An anchor for the soul. By the way, all the way through the scriptures, the soul, New Testament, is the center of your mind, emotion, and will. Do you want to know what's going to steady your spirit? What's going to take care of that internal part of you that vacillates and gets overwhelmed? You can be calm on the outside, but have your soul overwhelmed. Are you aware of that? Do you know that you've run into somebody today, quite possibly, who is faking it? Let that settle. You don't have to raise your hand. But this is what the scripture says. You can stop faking it and start actually experiencing it. This will steady your soul. Hope is an anchor that's built for storms. Ships need an anchor in a storm. Keep them from crashing into reefs, crashing onto the shore, or even crashing into other boats. Uh, just two years ago, there was a great big storm up in uh, the Nordic Sea. And two ships that had not been well anchored crashed into each other. One ended up without a rudder. All of the cargo was lost. 18 people had to be saved off of the ship, all because they did not put their anchor where they were supposed to. They anchored it on something that was not bedrock. It was not strong. They drifted and smashed into another. Would you trust an untested anchor? Would you trust a company that said, hey, we came up with this idea, really hope it works. Go out to sea, test it in a storm. No, this is what God says is you can guarantee this anchor will hold. No matter what your circumstance is, I'm going to meet you in the middle of the mess. I'm going to anchor you to something that's far greater than you. You don't have to rely on your strength or the strength of people around you. That's sand. You can rely on Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? The circumstances... Remember Abraham, in that chapter it says great darkness. What happens? He wakes up and he still has to live the next step of his life. He still wakes up and he's Abraham living in a tent, not yet seeing Canaan as it was going to be, not yet seeing the promised land fully developed, not yet seeing all of his children, not yet. He woke up still in his circumstances. How about if you're following God and you're reading his word and what it's telling you to do, you don't know if you have the ability to do. Abraham's following God. He woke up and he still had to take the very next step. But God met him there. It happened also in Abraham's home, Hagar. She named a well, the well of the God who sees, because when her son's life was in jeopardy, she had no strength, no ability to meet the moment, but God saw her need. Job says this in Job chapter 19. His body is wasting away. In fact, he says, God, I think I'm gonna die, but I already know my Redeemer lives and I will yet see him face to face and we'll work this out and he'll make it right. Job says that, the earliest book in the Bible that was written. I know that you're gonna make it right from the very beginning. Even if I go through death, you're gonna raise me up. You're gonna allow me to see you face to face and we will work these things out. Hope meets you in the middle of the mess and gives you a guarantee. God will make things right. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? 
The promise is your soul, your mind, emotions, and will will be anchored through the storm, even if the storm remains. I'm in a season of anniversaries right now. Um, 30 years ago, I married Christina. We married 30 years. Yeah. Still the love of my life. I call her sweetness for a reason. She's a gift to me, a treasure. 30 years ago, I received my first assignment at Salem Heights Church. Been married a month. They said, hey, we don't have anybody working with the junior high, and nobody really wants to. You game? And I said, yeah, I would love that. And it became one of the things that Christina and I look at and we say some of those are the most cherished moments in ministry that we could have. 30 years. Five years ago, I uh, come back from men's retreat, came back from a workout, woke up on the floor at my home. Christina's standing over me asking me, is it time for you to go to the doctor yet? Went. And I got the diagnosis that I had stage four colon cancer. That was five years ago. The diagnosis was, in essence, that I had a 6% chance to live for five years. But I sit before you today at the five-year anniversary of that. And just hearing eight weeks ago, yeah. Eight weeks ago for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I heard from the doctors, we consider you cancer-free. We don't see a trace of cancer, yeah. So I I hesitated. I asked the guy, should we talk about this? You know, I don't want this to be the centerpiece of the story. God's the one that should get the glory. It's not about me. But there was a moment that I remember particularly, it's driven into me. My daughter had just had her birthday party, um, and we, we had all these people over, and I can remember starting to feel shaky and like uh, I wasn't really in control of my body. And all of a sudden, the shakes took over me, and I just said uh, to Christina, I just said, sweetness, there's something wrong. I need to go in the doctor, and my body was just slowly shutting down from the perimeter all the way in. I could feel it go into my core. And, We finally got to the hospital. They ran through all their bag of tricks. I can remember the doctor leaning over me at one point and said, hey, we only got one more thing we can try. I'm going to stick this in your IV bag. He said, "Uh, sir, I know you're in pain. Just hold on. And I can remember not being able to talk finally at the end of that. And I, I just looked over and my wife, who is just wonderful, had been holding on to my arm and just reminded me that she was there. And I look over and I see my brother whose uh, face turns white when he's nervous and his face was white and I couldn't say knock it off (laughs) we were just sitting there and I can remember as it slowly drifted by and it still the hurt was pretty significant and I thought I I don't know Lord is this it is this the time Um, I felt at the beginning that I'd been called to maybe show our church this is how a believer faces death Lord, I'm ready. Will you let me just please say goodbye to Christina? And this passage, as I was reading it this week, settles the term. I was fighting for what is the thing I felt at that moment, the whisper to my soul. But the whisper to my soul in that moment, and I tell you, this is the truth. 
I'll see to it. You rest. I fell asleep, woke up in a hospital bed, doing much better. Took a few days to recover while I was there. Christina was finishing work. She went to work the next morning, by the way. Talk about a diehard. Was able to go to work, come back, sitting there by my bedside. I woke back up and uh, that was the turning point. It started to turn uh, all rights and green lights after that. Just easy peasy, you know, the rest of my treatment. Here's what meets you in the middle of this. And this is the thing I would remind you. I don't think any of us has the strength to face hardship. I'm going to tell you, I don't have the strength to face hardship. I didn't have the strength to climb out of that hole. I didn't have the strength to face that moment. I didn't have the strength the first time I took chemo. I didn't have the strength when they were putting the dots on me for radiation. I didn't have the strength when I was in that room. But in the moment of my depleted weakness, at the lowest point, the faith for that moment arrived. It was God who met me in the mess, filled my soul with faith, and anchored it. I had a confidence that I didn't deserve, and it had nothing to do with me. There was no reason to be settled and to rest. No reason, except for this is true. I'll take care of it. I will take care of what needs to be taken care of. You rest in me. And I did. I'm not strong, but he is strong. I don't hold the future. He holds the future. Nothing that I do today can change those circumstances, but God changes every circumstance that can be. He does it all. May not change your circumstance at the moment, but God will see to it that the story ends right. It's an anchor for your soul. The final thing I want you to hear is that hope is available. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secured enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. Why does he want you to know that? It says here in verse 17, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to Abraham? No. To significant saints? No. To the heirs of the promise. That's not only his kids, that's you and I. Do you know that? When God swears an oath, he says, I want you all to watch it and you all can bank on it. If I've made a promise, the reason it's in the book of Hebrews is God has promised he'll see you through. Have you put your faith in Christ? He promises he will see you through. Do you believe him? Hope is available. It is possible to have a promise. Verse 12 throws some people off. So that you will not become lazy, but will become imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. They wrongly assume that if you have enough faith or you persevere long enough, then you will receive the promise. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that you can enter heaven rejoicing or you can enter heaven fearful, overwhelmed, and having no idea what's going on, what's going on as you arrive in heaven. He says, why don't you enter rejoicing? Why don't you enter having done something and believing it? Why don't you enter having received that promise and trusting it? It'll change your life. It'll change how you act. It'll change how you respond to the people around you. It'll change the way that you see the world. Dwight Moody said, let a man feed for a month on the promises of God and he will not talk about his poverty. If you would only go from Genesis to Revelation and see all the promises made by God to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to the Jews, the Gentile, to all of his people everywhere. 
If you would spend a month feeding on the precious promises of God, you would not go about complaining about how poor you are, but you would lift up your heads with confidence and proclaim the riches of his grace because you could not help it. God is good, amen? Hope is available, and it's available to all of his children, but it's possible that you could be here today, be his child, and not have hope. You're not grabbing onto it, even though the promise is still yours. The inheritance is still yours, but you're walking around mopey and overwhelmed because you won't grab onto Christ. You're getting distracted. You need to know God has a plan for your life. One author says it this way, do critics define your identity? No, because God said, let us make humans in our image, Genesis 1. That includes you. Can challenges deplete your strength? No, because we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. You have access to the family fortune. Are you a victim of circumstances? Not in the least. When the believing person prays, great things happen, James 5, 16 says. Does God have a place for the small people of the world? You bet he does. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5, 5. Can anyone understand what it's like to lead your life? Well, Jesus can. Our high priest is able to understand our weakness, Hebrews 4. Do you feel alone with your problems? You aren't. Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us, Romans 8. Can God ever forgive your failures? He already has. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Is the grave a dead end? Just the opposite. Death has been swallowed up in victory, 1 Corinthians 15 says. Will sorrow ever end? Sometimes I feel as if it won't, but God has assured us weeping may last through the night, but joy will come in the morning, Psalm 30, verse 5. Will you have the wisdom and the energy for the remainder of your life? You might not, but the Holy Spirit does. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 8, 1, 8. Life isn't fair, but it will be. For God has set a day when he will judge the world, Acts 17, 31. He will judge the world. He'll make all things right. He will take us home. He will change and undo all that is wrong in the world. Do you believe it? How's he gonna do these things? He has already finished it all in Jesus Christ. Have you placed your faith in him? We started this moment actually right here at the tank. Waters of baptism where new brothers and sisters in Christ announce that they place their faith in Jesus and their hope goes beyond this world and into eternity. They want to live for him today and they're trusting him forever. He has changed their reality. Are you hanging on to that hope? Have you trusted Christ? Are you doing it actively in your day-to-day existence? Here's what you need to know. That hope, it's all up to the Lord. He's already taken care of it. Your circumstances might be dire, but God will see you through, and that hope is available. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us to trust the finished work of Christ. There's nothing left for us to do but rejoice, to proclaim it, to walk in it. You have given us, in Jesus Christ, a hope that anchors the soul. It changes the trajectory of our life. It gives us promises that we could never guarantee ourselves. Father, it is as sure as you are God. So we put our trust in you. We ask that you would help us to trust you. 
to rest in those promises. Father, if there are some here today that just came to see a baptism, but they've been touched by your spirit, they also want to put their faith in you. I pray that today they would bow their knee and say, Lord God, I believe that Jesus died for me, was buried and rose again. He took my sins forever. I want to walk, live for him. Father, I pray that they would believe. But for those that have been stumbling along, they've put their faith in Christ, they have trusted at one point, but they have hung on to rabbit trails and second best. Father, I pray that they would let go of those things that are fillers and not the truth. That they would trust you, find their hope, and anchor for their soul, that their mind, emotions, and will would be settled by Jesus Christ. Father, for those that are walking in victory, I pray that they would find somebody humbled by their circumstances, overwhelmed today, that they would take them with them, that they would, with great enthusiasm, pray, see them, just as you see us. Father, help us to walk out of here rejoicing and having hope. In Jesus' name, amen.